And he looks at us and he goes, you guys need to go rafting. And honestly, if you said anything besides rafting, I would have been like, okay. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You want me to go rafting with my kid with special needs in a raft where she falls out, she could drown. And he's like, no, it'd be a great family experience. (laughs) Welcome to Wild Peace, a place where parents of kids who struggle can come together for camaraderie, inspiration, and support. If a child in your life faces learning and attentional challenges, developmental differences, or mental health concerns, this is for you. I'm your host, Kendra Wild. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here today. I am so excited about this episode. You know, years ago, when my son was struggling, I spent a tremendous amount of time trying to figure out what was going on and how to help. Since he never really fit a certain label, I learned to live in the ambiguity. And what I realize is that no matter what our kids' challenges are, we as parents have so much in common. We all work harder to understand our kids. We spend more time navigating and advocating for them. And behind all that extra effort is this like wild emotional ride. There's stress. And then there's this trying to wrap your head around a life you just never expected. It's messy, and it's tough, but it's also transformational because it opens our world in ways we never, ever would have imagined. My guest today, Kimber Felton, brings this reality to life in such a beautiful way. She knew something about her daughter Kate was off. She went through an odyssey trying to find an answer. But Kimber didn't let the grim prognoses get her down. She and her husband Mike just kept pushing. They lived abroad, they pursued their passion for outdoor sports, and along the way, they just tried to solve the problems at hand. Kimber tells the story of her parenting journey in such a vivid way. You'll laugh, you'll probably cry, and you'll walk away reminded that there's just so much possibility and capacity in everyone. So with that, I am thrilled to introduce you to Kimber Felton. Hi, Kimber. It's great to have you today. It's good to be here. So I'm thinking, let's just start at the beginning. Would you go back and tell about the early years with your kids and and your discovery story with your daughter, Kate? Sure. Let's go back to, I got married really young for my group of friends. I got married at 24 and we always knew we wanted to live overseas. So we decided that we wanted to at least have our first child in the United States. So I got pregnant at 26 and had Kate and everything was completely normal. And we had her in Memphis, Tennessee. And I just always thought something was off about her. And I can't explain it. I just, there was something there and I'd go to the doctors. I'd be like, something's off. And they'd be like, no, she's fine. It's all in your head. And then she stood, she hit her milestones correctly but she never stood by herself. She always stood holding on to something. And when she started walking, she always walked holding on to a finger. She never, never walked by herself. She wall walked or held on to furniture. And she looked like she could never figure out her mid plane. 
And I would be like, something's wrong. And they were like, you are getting obsessed with what to expect your child's first year. Stop worrying about this. And I was like, no, something is wrong. And finally at 18 months, I was seeing her and she just was always leaning forward. And I finally went to the doctors and I go, look, I know something is wrong. I want her tested. And they go, well, there's not much to test. She's hitting the milestones. I'm like, she's not walking by herself. It was my first step of advocating. And though they thought I was absolutely crazy, I made them make a referral to a neurologist. And the guy looked at her and he did all these tests. And he said, you know, she might have mild cerebral palsy or it could be sensory issues could be this. Don't worry about it. She could have learning issues. We'll do a little physical therapy. And I was like, all right, okay. And so we started doing it. They would have her walk on rice and she would still do it. And they would try all these things. And so I finally was like, I'm getting a second diagnosis. This diagnosis is okay, but it still wasn't changing. She was almost two and we were planning on moving overseas. My husband's company had just said that we were going to move to El Salvador. And we were like, okay, we were psyched. And so I went in and my husband's in, I think he was in Brazil or something like that. And I went into this place and in my mind, I have a picture of the building and it had a ramp going up to it. It was like an old, like sixties building. And we go in there and there's all these people in various poses, kind of uncomfortable. And this man came in and they sent me to this room and you're here with my little almost two-year-old with this blonde hair that sticks out. And she looked like a, like her hair looked like a baby chick just all over the place, completely impossible to comb down. And he looks at her and he does like 20 minutes of all this stuff. And he goes, she will never walk. She will never walk by herself. She will, she will never be free. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, she will have a walker or be in a wheelchair. She will never walk. And I was so not expecting what he had to say that I couldn't even compute. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, she has issues. She will never walk. She has cerebral palsy. She has brain damage. She and I, I was like, what, you know, it was so opposite of what the other guy said. I just sort of picked up my kid and walked out and sat in the car. And I remember just crying, just sobbing in the car with my little person climbing all over me, patting my face as I had tears. And it was really before cell phones and I couldn't contact my husband. It was just like one of those things. It was just an, an alone moment. Because the what ifs of the world all of a sudden came down upon me. And I couldn't say, well, it's because I drank or it's because I had a fall or it's because there was difficulty in pregnancy. There was just nothing to look at. So I called home, of course. I talked to Mike later on that night and Mike's like, go talk to these other people. And so I called a friend of mine from college's dad who worked at the Mayo Clinic. And he was like, we'll see you here, but get these tests done. So I went to the nicer doctor who was nicer. Mike was back in the States and Kate had an MRI. And I don't know for parents who've ever had this happen, 
But an MRI with a little person is kind of scary. It's the big MRI machine and they give your kid drugs to make them sort of go to sleep. And then they kind of wrap them like a burrito with Velcro. And then they put a little thing on their fingers so you hear the pulse. They know there's a pulse and there's a little clip so they hear the breathing. And there's a rocking chair and they're like, you sit in the rocking chair, your kid goes in the MRI machine and you just hear the machine move. Well, I looked at my husband and I was like, there is no way I can sit in the room with this going on. I will lose my mind. And my husband totally stepped up to the plate and Mike was like, I will sit. And he went in there and I mean, we were young. He was like 30, 28 ish. We're getting ready to move overseas. The world is our oyster. And we're like in this MRI. And it was like, holy crap, what's going to happen? And Kate gets out. She's fine. And they come back and they say, well, her white matter, which is like the connections in the brain, is sparse yet within the range of normal. And her left ventricle is within the range of normal as well. And so we sent it also, we talked to our friend and he goes, well, at the Mayo Clinic and he's like, well, do this other test. And so we decided to test Kate for uh, to see if she had any epileptic fits just to check the brain. And Mike and I had been, you know, kind of scrambling around trying to figure out how our lives would continue going, kind of realizing that there's something wrong with our child that we had no idea what it was. And nobody could give us any clear diagnoses one way or the other. They were like, well, if there is cerebral palsy, she might be fine, but have a weird limp. And then we had this other guy who tells us she'll never walk again. And then nobody could tell us if there would be learning issues as she gets older or whatever issues. And so we're like, okay. So Kate goes, and the way you test for epileptic seizures, which can be great like you see in TV or can be very minor, can happen in your sleep. They glue neurons or electrical, I don't know, neurons onto your head, kind of like a cap, and so they can get all your brain waves. And then you hold your child when they're that little and you put him to sleep. And so you have your baby exhausted in your arms. And then they wake your kid up with a strobe light. So your kid gets woken up by light in a dark room with like a strobe light, like your worst disco nightmare come true. And your kid like is screaming. And then they turn off the light and they say, put your kid back to sleep. Oh, good luck. But the problem with these things is you have to do it to get the diagnosis, like you have to follow through with it. You're like, do I nurse? Do I do a bottle? You're shaking and you know that your kid's picking up on your, on your tension. So you put your kid back to sleep and you do it and they do it. I don't even remember how many times it was. It could have been three times. It could have been two times. It could have been a hundred times. All I know is it was the worst experience I have ever had as a parent ever. And granted this, they probably might do it differently now. This was 20 years ago. And so we get out and it gets done. And they were like, well, that's pretty inconclusive. And we're walking down this hallway at Le Bonheur's Children's Hospital. And Mike is on one side. 
I'm on the other side and Kate's in between us and she's got her crazy blonde hair sticking up and she's happy as can be. She is walking, just holding on to her hands for balance. And I was like, I don't care what she has. And Mike looks at me and he goes, I don't either. I'm like, I'm not going to Le Bonheur. I'm not going to the Mayo Clinic. I'm not getting, I don't think we're going to get a diagnosis. I want to deal with what is at hand. I want to get her walking. I want to figure out if there's going to be any issues in the future. But I am not going to sit here and search for a diagnosis that I don't think is coming. And Mike was like, okay, because what do you want to do? And I was like, we're going to El Salvador. We are doing this and we will figure this out. And Mike was like, okay. (laughs) And so we moved to El Salvador and I hit El Salvador running. And I started talking to everybody there. And I found this woman who was trained in Europe and in Mexico and from all over the world. And she had this house in the middle of a neighborhood. And this house to me was an oasis of hope. Wow. And I went in there. She didn't speak great English. And I spoke just a little bit of Spanish. And between the two of us, all I remember is her saying, Ah, ella tiene espacito playa y no hay problema. Ella puede. And that, basically, she looked at my kid and rapid fire Spanish diagnosed the physical issue with my child and told me that she could get my kid walking in three months. Oh my gosh. And I was like, are you kidding me? And then she said, and then I didn't really get it. And that's my Spanish. But she was telling me that Kate also probably needed occupational therapy. So I was like, okay. And so Kate would go, I was pregnant with Mitchell and Kate would go and I would take her to this, this house three days a week. And Kate would stand in this standing contraption is the only way I can think of how to describe it. It had two poles and then they would Velcro her in between the two poles, put a tray in front of her, Velcro her head back. So her body had the straight plane line. And so Kate learn what it was to stand straight, learn where her middle was. And she would do puzzles and they talk. And I would sit there and in this room were highly involved children. And Kate was so minor compared to them that I was like, my life's pretty good compared to everything I'm seeing. And while this was happening, my parents were selling the house to this woman, Dr. Debbie Gabler, who was one of the foremost people at the Rehab Institute of Chicago who happened to deal with what Kate had, spastic diplasia, and had a gait clinic. No way. Yeah. Just total random happenstance of life. Wow. And Mike's company, International Paper, said, we will fly you back. Happy wife, happy life. We will fly you back to get any of the medical services you need. So I cobbled together Kate. I will never forget this, started walking. She was born in August. So on her second birthday, she wasn't walking. By November, she was walking without holding on to things. Wow, that's amazing. Let's see if I can do this over our conversation without getting verklempt. Kate walked off the plane at Christmas. For Christmas in Chicago, walked off the plane to the grandparents. So that was pretty awesome. And then we started, we met Debbie and Debbie diagnosed her and said she had spastic diplasia. They couldn't really figure out why she has spastic diplasia. And 
they were like, everything looks fine. Who knows? There's a percentage that is a who knows. And she put us in touch in Chicago with City Kids, which is a phenomenal organization as well. And Kate would get physical and occupational therapy when we were in the States. And Kate would continue having physical and occupational therapy wherever we lived in the world and speech therapy. And I would just scramble around. So we would fly back to the United States. Kate would go to the Rehab Institute of Chicago Gate Clinic, get all checked out. And then we would go get therapies. And then when we lived overseas, we would also get therapies. So I came really good at speaking about whatever my kid had, which started out as spastic diplasia, which means that spastic is like a rubber band pulled really, really tight. And diplasia means both sides. So Kate was a tight rubber band on both sides. So she kind of walked sort of side to side. And then the harder part, this diagnosis really didn't mean anything. And to me, a diagnosis is just sort of, that's one piece of the puzzle. And if you have a greater diagnosis that says your child is on the spectrum or your child has ADHD or your child has Down syndrome, whatever the diagnosis is, there is such a range within a diagnosis. It's a guideline. It's a map. To me, what it means is you have some sort of path of how to help your child live the best life they could possibly live. And a diagnosis isn't anybody's fault. It is not anything. It just gives you a path. And for us, that was one path and it opened some doors, but there was nothing else. So every day we would learn Does she have the dexterity to tie a shoe? No, she doesn't. We need to help with this. Does she need help with a speech? Can she form a complete sentence? Can she read? Everything else was so much more important than the diagnosis. It was more dealing with the issues and creating the world that she can succeed the most in. Yeah, like problem solving one challenge at a time. And it's fascinating to think that you were in different cultures figuring this out too. Can we talk about that for a minute? I'm really intrigued. Where were you? We were in El Salvador and this lady was fantastic. And I think in Latin America, it was really nice because you have people with all sorts of issues and it's just, they're sort of there hanging out. And so you're kind of like, hmm okay, that person has this issue and this person has that issue. And the diagnosis doesn't matter. They're just, everybody's there getting help, but the one person in all of El Salvador can help them. And then when we moved to Venezuela, there was this phenomenal speech therapist who actually spoke a different language than I spoke. She spoke more Italian than she spoke Spanish or English, but I tracked her down and it was more the enunciation and learning how to form her mouth in the right way. And she had this fantastic teacher, Mrs. Peyot, from the American School in Valencia, Venezuela, who sat there and worked with Kate. And Kate taught her whole class how to say thank you. As some kids do, she would run away from her class because she got bored or whatever, and they would find her. And they were like, yeah, Kate ran away again. That's just who she is. Let's try to contain it. And that was true. You just try to contain it. You can try to prevent it, but you're not really going to stop your kid from running away. But if they were like, yeah, she's at the field, we got an eye on her. And they shrunk down where she could go when she felt that she needed to get away. And by the end, she would just go sit in a chair in the classroom. But it was all about kind of letting Kate be Kate, but keeping her safe. 
That's so nice. And I think that helped with my philosophy on raising her. And by the time we were in Valencia in Venezuela, we were there just for a year. Kate had a brother too. So there's three years between Kate and her brother. And then when we moved to Argentina, I also found an amazing organization in Argentina that they were like, well, we need physical therapy, we need speech therapy, and we need occupational therapy, and we need visual therapy because she doesn't understand how to place everything on a piece of paper. She doesn't understand the top of the page, the bottom of the page. And this place, once again, I felt like we were lucky. I mean, Kate ran to me. She talked to me. She did all these amazing things. And there were other kids that were so much more involved. I think that that has a lot to do with my philosophy on being Kate's mom is that there's so much more out there that's so much more challenging than I've had to deal with that, you know, she was doing okay. And I do believe that because we lived overseas and because I was searching for the right treatment for Kate that I was hobbling together because nobody back then talking sensory issues was pretty radical and talking processing issues. Not too many people knew about that. And overseas, they actually this place in Argentina knew everything about it more than I did and helped teach me. And remember, I'm doing this all in Spanish, not in English. <laughs> I can't imagine. And I would do it with my son in tow. And then, you know, each day you would realize that Kate had a deficit in this. And you'd say, okay, so if this is a deficit, how can we help push her along? My husband and I had to be comfortable with the what ifs because we couldn't say, this is the direction it will happen. That is so hard for parents, no matter what the challenge is, to not hyper anticipate and worry about all these things that are unknown. And how did you sort of calibrate your expectations? I think I was lucky because she was my first. So I had really no expectations. I knew that I wanted her to be the best that she could be. And I knew that I wanted her to walk and I wanted her to write and I wanted her to read and I wanted her to have a fulfilling life. And I realized at a very young age, on her part and on my part, that my definition of success would not be her definition of success. And both Mike and I had to become comfortable with that. But then I looked at it and I was like, well, wait a second. I've got a kid who I can do things with. I have a family. I'm not going to let this prevent us from living the most fulfilling life that we can live as a family. I think actually my son got the, the better end of the deal because I had no expectations for Kate. I really didn't have much expectations for Mitchell when he was little because I would be like, oh, he rolled over early. Oh, he did this. Wow, that's really cool. And so I was kind of like, well, let's see where he goes. I played with both of them on the floor with puzzles. I built both of them with Legos. Mitchell would do a tower with a castle and a dragon. And Kate would build like three Lego things. And both of them succeeded at their level. And what's important to me is wonderment and adventure and the outdoors. And I think the saddest I ever got about knowing that Kate had cerebral spastic diplasia was when I was like, I can never take my kid hiking unless she's on a back as an adult. I was at my friend's wedding 
in Purgatory, Colorado. And I was bemoaning the fact that I could never take her on a hike when she gets older. And my friend hit me and he goes, what are you talking about? You just put her on a horse. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm limiting my child before I need to. Isn't that interesting? I mean, people talk about that all the time, learned helplessness, you know, that you just keep accommodating and you don't realize that maybe they have more capacity. So what did they encourage you to do? Did you, did you take her horseback riding? Well, yeah. Well, before we moved overseas, we decided that Christy Butte, Colorado was our home base because we were like, if Mike ever got fired, Christy Butte is like in the middle of nowhere and the most beautiful place in the whole wide world. So we picked Christy Butte and we would go back there every summer. And at first Kate went to this place called Stepping Stones, which is an amazing school and daycare center. And there was a certain point when she was seven, they were like, we can no longer accommodate Kate. And I was just crushed. But then in the same breath, they said, but there's this really cool program up at Mount Christy Butte called the Adaptive Sports Center. I was like, okay. And she's like, you will love them. They will let her enjoy the outdoors, help her do it. I was like, all right. So Mike and I went up there. We had Mitchell in tow. And I think Kate was like seven or eight. And Mitchell's three years younger. And we went up there and we talked to Chris Reed, who's still there, an absolutely amazing human being. And Chris Reed looks at us and we were like, we want to do something with our kid in the outdoors. How can this happen? And he looks at us and he goes, you guys need to go rafting. And honestly, if you said anything besides rafting, I would have been like, okay. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You want me to go rafting with my kid with special needs in a raft where she falls out, she could drown. And he's like, no, it'd be a great family experience. (laughs) (laughs) And Mike looks at me and I look at him and he goes, you game? I'm like, all right, fine. And so we get picked up and Chris looks at us and he goes, I got this backpack and the backpack is snacks. We got sleeping bags. I got coats. I've got everything. I was like, Oh God. Okay. He was like, I've got it under control. And he had a camera around his neck. He's like, I got it under control. And we get to get into the raft and we're putting the life preservers on and I'm working with Kate. And because that's what I do. I always, Kate's my first priority. And Chris goes, oh, no, I got Kate. You go help your son put on his life preserver. And he goes, and put on your own. I'm like, Chris. And he's like, Kimber, I've got Kate. And as I, like, slowly walked away with my head down, like, okay, God, I got to put on my life preserver. And this person has my kid who's, like, the most important thing. And then we get to go on, and I go to lift Kate up. He goes, Kimber, I've got Kate. Help Mitchell get in. So we get in the boat, and we start rafting down. And this is, like, a class two river. There are no waves. Maybe they're little bumps, but you would have thought this is a class five river where you need helmets and you need like, you could like die any moment. And we get in that and we start floating down the river and we hit a little bump and I like reach out to grab Kate and Chris is like, Kimbra, I've got Kate. Go up front with your family. Go up with Mitchell and Mike. Oh my God. And it's so hard because you're so used to always having a hand or an eye. It's so hard when you have a kid with any challenge to not have 
at least 95% of your energy on that child, either physically or mentally. You are watching your kid. And the other kid is getting that other fiber, and your husband too, they're, they're getting your energy, but then your mind is always just a little removed. And Chris was like encouraging me to put all of my energy to the people in the front of the boat, 95%, and put 5% on Kate. I just remember being like, oh my God, this is really hard. And we had so much fun. And so by the end, arms around everybody, we're like a typical family for one moment enjoying rafting down the river and the responsibility of a parent of a kid with a challenge is gone just for that moment. That's amazing. Incredibly freeing. And then we get done and now I'm going to get all, we get done and we're at the bottom of the river and keep leaning against Chris, not leaning against me. Like I am not there. Mitchell and Kate and Chris have a water fight. And all Mike and I did was just watch. We didn't participate. We just watched. And that was so incredibly freeing because for that moment, we were just parents watching our kids have fun, not initiating it, not making sure nobody fell over and drowned. We were just watching a water fight that any siblings would possibly have. And Mike looked at me and I looked at him and he goes, we're doing this next year. I'm like, oh yeah. And every summer to this day, we go up to Crested Butte, Colorado and Kate gets programmed with adaptive and she does mountain biking, rock climbing, hiking, rafting, skiing. And my other kids might do something with the adaptive sports center or they might do something with another camp. And while Kate is programmed, the whole family doesn't always have to be there. She can do it by herself. And I go hike and I go do things. And for that moment of time, we are a typical family in the loosest sense of the word because definitions don't matter. But that is how we have hobbled in our lives. And the Adaptive Sports Center, just to clarify, asked me to be on the board a while back. And I love the fact that the freedom that adaptive has given me and what they have taught me and what they've taught me is it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to accept help and it's okay to let somebody else take the responsibility of your child for a moment because that frees you up to go on a hike, read a book, do whatever you need to do to recharge your batteries so that the other 364 days a year, you are present and you have the energy to handle the situations that arise. What a gift. Wow. I'm so blown away. <laughs> I think that when you have a chance to, to recharge, it enables you to be positive about a situation. Yes. And by being positive, I know that I honestly mean this, that I have a very lucky and fulfilling life. I have three kids. I have a dog who does not come when it's called. And I have a husband who loves me and supports me and is a partner. And somehow Mike and I have bucked the system because statistically parents of a child with any challenge, be it ADHD, be it a genetic issue, be it whatever, statistically we should not be married. 
And the question is why Kate is 23. And I think it's because we had a common goal. And our goal was for all the kids is to have them do the best that they can do. And to not put our expectation on Kate, to have high expectations for Kate, realize that there are going to be setbacks. And there have been tons of setbacks. And I have wallowed in my moment of wallow, but it's only for a day. You have to just keep going and keep pushing because at the end of the day, what is better? To me, it is better to push and to be positive and to look for the ways to help your child succeed than it is to say, my child will not walk and be in a wheelchair and will never climb a mountain or will never write a full sentence. Kate writes a sentence. It's not a deep sentence. She's never going to be reading War and Peace, but she loves instruction manuals and she loves sports. I can't stand sports, but she does. So she wants to talk sports teams and statistics. I pull out my phone and I can talk sports teams and statistics. And that is a success for her. Not my version of success, but is her version of success. And I think Mike and I have always been on the same page that why she's the way she is doesn't really matter. It's how are we going to help her succeed that matters. Yeah. Just to talk about the adaptive sports program for a minute, I'm dwelling on that because I'm just trying to figure out, is that something that's accessible for people who, who aren't in such a wonderful situation? There's adaptive sports there's one in the East Coast. There's a lot of ski areas have adaptive skiing programs. In Boston, there's the Spalding Center that has adaptive programs. There is your school should be able to adapt anything to suit your child athletically. I know that for most adaptive programs, especially the Adaptive Sports Center in Crested Butte, we do offer scholarships. We were very fortunate to be able to figure out how to make it work. I think that there are programs, Free Your Wheels, it's a biking program that teaches anybody how to ride a bike and they have a set program to do it. You could do that. If you can't get yourself out to Colorado or out to Vermont or out to an adaptive program, you could do something like Free Your Bike or put your kid on a tandem bike behind you and ride a bike. The Adaptive Sports Center, to me, was my saving grace because if you ask me what am I, I'm a hiker. That's, that's what makes me happy. And sharing the outdoors with my family and my friends makes me happy. But somebody else, maybe that's not what makes them happy. So is it painting then that makes you happy or working with clay? Or how is it that you take your breaks and you recharge? And I think that you have to look and it takes a lot of resource. But in any community right now, there are adaptive programs you can put your child in. You don't have to go all the way out to Crestview, Colorado, though I highly recommend it. No, but I agree. And I like the idea of focusing in on what makes you happy and what would make you feel liberated and recharged. And how can you expose your child to that or find a way for yourself to do that and also for your child to discover, you know, a world beyond their limitations. And you can find all kinds of creative ways to do that. Yeah. Like some kids, your little kid, you're like, oh, they're an artist and they play with clay. 
and you might be an amazing sculptor and you love playing and making beautiful works of art. And a typical child might just like the feel and the sensory of the art and make a clay ball. And while you both are playing with the clay, you both are creating art. Now, one might be worth more and might be more visually and aesthetically pleasing, but the time and energy and the break that was given and the recharge that the child with challenges or the other kid might just be a ball of clay or might be a you know, flat thing is just as important. And it's perception of what's important, of what is beauty and what is success. And so if, if what your break is doing art, and have your kid with challenge do art next to you or have someone take them away and do something at school. But it's important, I think, to realize that what you think, like to me, climbing a mountain is the best thing in the world. To Kate, she just walked half a mile and she saw some flowers and she's happy. So before we wrap up, and I feel like I could just listen to your stories all day, but You and I've talked about your quotes and your mantras. I know you have many, and I would love to hear just a few because I like to hear from parents before we wrap up of what do you follow that inspires you on those really down days? And what do you follow just as a culture in your family? Quotes or mantras or beliefs that, you know, that help you. On the back of our wedding program was the quote, when the bird and the book disagree, always believe the bird. And... I think that that quote has followed our family throughout the years because you might have a diagnosis and you might say, this is what my kid has. But then you look at your child and you say, "Eh, forget the diagnosis. Let's believe the child and let's do what's best for the child and let's help that child succeed. So I believe the bird. I don't believe the book. That's beautiful. That's the way we are. (laughs) Yeah. Say it one more time so we can memorize it. When the bird and the book disagree, always believe the bird. Oh, that's so empowering. I love it. Love it. And I have no idea who said that in the first place. (laughs) We'll have to start Googling it after we're done with this podcast. (laughs) Oh, Kimber, thank you so much for sharing your life experience and your story. I think it's really inspiring just to see your perspective, which is, is really so positive. And I think it applies to parents. Like you say, no matter what the diagnosis, just everyone has a different bird and we can listen to our own bird and find joy. Right. And it's important, I think, when you find yourself relying a little bit too much on the book and being a little negative to say, whoa, wait a second, let's look at the bird. The bird's the one that's going to show me the path and how we go. Oh, thanks again. Okay. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Wild Peace, a podcast created to bolster parents of kids who are struggling with mental health, learning issues, developmental differences, and more. If you'd like to suggest a guest or share your story, we would love to hear from you. Go to wildpeace.org, that's W-I-L-D-P-E-A-C-E dot org, to leave suggestions, see show notes from this episode, and explore more resources. You can also leave a message at 617-433-8582. Since this is a podcast, we especially love hearing your voice. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. 
Just scroll down to those five purple stars and click. Your positive reviews will ensure that more parents who could use some wild peace can find us. This show is a production of Wild Peace for Parents, a nonprofit dedicated to helping parents find calm and build resilience. Because child well being starts with parent well being. Mm-hmm.